Let me increase the uh, size of this so I can see it better. <laughs> <laughs> the font. The font. Oh, the font. Okay. 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 That's what you want to call it. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. A fun and fascinating look at one of the best all-time TV shows from the 60s, Star Trek, the original series. So we're back, Dan. Yeah. Did you have a good time in New York City? I did. Uh, I saw a couple plays, saw some live jazz. The NBA draft was going on while we were there. Saw some very tall people. Wow. Ate good food, had a few beers. It was great. Awesome. Sounds great. How about you? You were at uh, Shakespeare Festival, weren't you? Yeah, I was at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Ashland, Oregon. We go every year. We've gone, Dana, to that thing for probably 25 years. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been great. But yeah, we've probably seen, I'm guessing, if not the entire Shakespeare canon, pretty darn close to it. Yeah, it sounds like it. If you've been going 25 years, I can't imagine they repeat a whole bunch of stuff every year. Yeah, there are some that they hardly ever do. Coriolanus is one. I love that one because it's got the word anus in it. <laughs> <laughs> so middle school. Of course, we've seen some of the other more popular ones like Romeo and Juliet we saw again this year. Oh, that's great. And you also passed your drinking test. I mean, your uh, tasting part of your uh, beer test, right? Yeah, I did. Found out I passed it. And now I just need to wait for the results of the written exam. That can take six weeks. Well, then what's your title once you pass this? I think it's something like your Lord and Master Beer Taster. <laughs> that is hilarious. Uh... <laughs> will, will you be calling me that? <laughs> No, I'll still call you Dan. So the program is called the Cicerone program. It's similar to people who get certified as wine tasters, you know, the sommeliers. I'll be able to officially call myself a certified Cicerone. Wow. Yeah. And a, and a beer judge on top of it. And a beer judge that's separate, but yeah, that's on top of it. Anyway, it's it's been fun and we'll see uh, what happens. Thanks for asking though. Well, that's very cool. Uh, congratulations on passing the drinking, I mean, again, the tasting test. So. <laughs> So Dan, last time we talked, we were talking about the episode, The Deadly Years, and we did get a lot of comments from our listeners. Okay, our good friend Olivia wrote, uh, I hadn't been listening for four or five minutes and I was already dying laughing. You guys are too funny. Yet another episode I haven't seen, but loved listening to y'all talk about it. One thought I had pertains to the different specialists they always seem to have on the Enterprise. Do you think Starfleet is just like, you've got to be the most prepared that you can ever be when you go out there and having a specialist on, like on an ancient civilizations will probably never ever be relevant but you just never know so anyways great episode as always i look forward to the next one thank you olivia yeah and we've had that same question pam mcclung said you guys wondered in the podcast about how the commodore had not captained a starship but was actually mentioned twice in the episode kirk says the commodore never commanded a starship and later he says that he never had a field command. Call them a desk jockey, pencil pusher, or something like that. So apparently you don't have to serve in the field to rise to that rank. Maybe they shouldn't let them captain starships and should leave that to the first officers or people on the actual crew who know what they're doing. We agree with you 100%, Pam. Yep, absolutely. Randall Mannion, who's uh, written to us several times, said, live long and schmitter. I, <laughs> I take that as a compliment. <laughs> Has to be. Has to be a compliment, right? Yeah. And then uh, Brian Kavanaugh said, check off complaining about his tests he has to go through is gold. He says, the opening is great scare for the kids. Cool Star Trek moment. 
the Commodore is supposed to be another officer of captain rank on the ship, so he's not supposed to be confused with the ship's captain. But let's put that aside for a moment. Just a high-ranking officer, not a Starfleet officer, attains a high rank by serving in the field, like Starfleet judges and attorneys hold a high rank but couldn't take command of a ship. That's a good point. That is a good point, yeah. Tim Moses said, listening to it now, the show has become part of my Saturday morning breakfast routine, much like the old cereal commercials. This sugar-coated nonsense is part of a complete breakfast. Now, when he says listening to the show, he means he means listening to the podcast. Yeah. And he's equating that to some type of nourishment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sugary nourishment. Yeah. So um, we're not quite fortified with seven essential vitamins and minerals, but, uh, but we try. The sugary nourishment is the best kind though. Let's face it. Right. <laughs> Gives you energy. Yeah. Get you going. Nothing better. Honeycombs. Remember honeycombs? Man, I haven't thought about those in years, Dana. Do they still make those? I don't know. You know, it'd be interesting for our listeners to tell us what their favorite breakfast cereal is, especially if they're from our generation. I'm wondering if it's kind of similar. There'll be a similar theme going on there. You know, and that theme is sugar. <laughs> That's all we knew as kids. Yeah. Everything was sugar. So we haven't even started talking about the show yet, have we? <laughs> and we're already rambling. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, so Dana... Someone brought this up recently. We have not brought out the Ramble Jar in a long time. It's been a few weeks, I think. Okay, now we're rambling about the Ramble Jar. All right, here's the deal. <laughs> the Ramble Jar is going to... Hold on, I'm grabbing mine. Hold on. Okay, I've got my... I'm going to set it on the desk here. Okay, I've got my Ramble Jar ready to go. And anytime we start to ramble, I'm going to I'm gonna put money in the jar right now because we just rambled. And anytime we ramble, I might not even say anything about the ramble. I might just start tossing money in. I don't know. Does that sound appropriate? Yeah. And especially especially for you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> One of our uh, listeners on Twitter once said, it was so nice you guys actually talked about the show and didn't just ramble. So <laughs> Jeez, what episode were they listening to? I don't remember that. <laughs> okay. So Dan, do you have any uh, comments you want to share with us? Uh, we received an email from our friend Joy and she says, hey, Dan and Dana, I think I need to point out a hidden meaning in some episodes of Star Trek. When, as in this episode, Kirk bumps into a previous quote, romantic conquest, and the question is asked, how long has it been? They aren't necessarily referring to the passage of time, rather something more personal to Jimbo. <laughs> wow, something we never uh, thought of, Dan. And look... <laughs> That is not below us. I mean, I don't know why we didn't think of that. Oh, man. Joy goes on to say, many thanks, and I hope Dana is still dodging those cease and desist letters from Julie Newmar's lawyers. That's a very nice email, Joy. And then on YouTube, we received a comment from Mogridge, who's written several times. Mogridge says, I may be a bit premature here, my old problem. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to go into any more of that because I'm sure that's personal. But uh, Mogridge then says, but as we're already at season two, episode 12, I hope you are considering what TV series you will take apart after this. Twilight Zone? I'd enjoy that. Wow, Dana, this guy is a glutton for punishment if he wants to hear more from us. Dana, we have talked about this a little bit, but we haven't really come up with anything definite. Although I do like the Twilight Zone idea. What, what about you? Yeah, Twilight Zone didn't run for a long time either. I think it was three or four years and uh, some great episodes. One of my favorite all-time shows was The Twilight Zone. And William Shatner appeared on a couple episodes. That's right. One, I mean, one of the classics, right? Terror at, what is it? 20,000 feet or something like that. Yeah, right. Not a bad idea. Yeah, anyway, Mogridge, thanks for the email. That's a great idea. <laughs> 
let's dive into this week's discussion of obsession. We start out with Spock and Kirk looking at a rock that kind of sparkles a little bit. Spock says it's tritanium, a material 20 times harder than a diamond. Uh, actually, Kirk says, tri- Spock says, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie said no Rizzo said no (laughs) okay I got it this time here we go you got it you got it Dana okay we start out with Spock and Kirk looking at a rock that kind of sparkles Spock says it's tritanium and Kirk says it's a material 20 times harder than a diamond Spock says 21.4 so then Kirk hits it with another rock and Dan yes it sounded like two pieces of styrofoam being bashed together <laughs> Kirk says it's 20 times harder than a diamond. Then he takes this other rock and hits it. Didn't they have sound effects? Yeah, apparently they ran out of money in that episode for the sound effect guy. <laughs> so Kirk calls up to Scotty and says that they found the vein and to tell Starfleet to dispatch a survey crew immediately. And we see smoke kind of creep out of the top of the rock formation. And then Spock stands back and using his phaser, shaves off a piece of tritanium with his phaser. Apparently nothing is too hard for a phaser. When he does that, the smoke kind of retreats back into the rock. I thought it was a cool special effect. I liked it. Yeah. And then Kirk smells something. And he's, he's like kind of sniffing the air. He's like, it's like honey. Couldn't it have been, you know, shooting the phaser at the rock might have made some, something? <laughs> But do you think it smelled like honey? No, 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 not at all. No. Yeah, yeah. So then he, but he's like, keeps stepping forward and he's like, you could see it's like he's having a memory because the sense of smell is one of our most powerful memory. Activators. Activators. Yes. Yeah, I knew you'd help me if I, I drew it out long enough. So well, thanks. I was trying to think of the word too while you were doing <laughs> <laughs> And he says it was years ago with an odor like that on another planet. And my first thought, because it's Kirk, is he's thinking of some woman. Yeah, on the pleasure planet. And her name was Honey. (laughs) Honey Galore. Uh, (laughs) And you can see it's kind of disturbing. Kirk, they're surrounded by uh, five uh, red shirts. Kirk calls Rizzo and tells them to make a sweep with their tricorders for dichronium. He says, if they see any gaseous clouds, they are to fire on it with phasers on Disruptor B. Now, Dan, this is the first time we hear of Disruptor B. Yeah, it's the first time we even know that a Federation phaser has a disruptor setting, right? Yeah. I mean, again, it's, you know, stun, warm coffee. Right. Heat rocks. Got to remember the heat, heat rocks. rocks. I got, yeah, I forgot the heat rocks. Yeah. Kill. Mm-hmm. And now uh, disruptor. And shave off part of a rock. Yeah. We got that setting. There's more settings to these phasers than you realize. Really? So. They really are. Yeah. So he tells the three men that they're on red alert and he calls Scotty and tells them they're going to do an investigation of the area. Scotty says they need to meet with the Yorktown in eight hours. So Rizzo, Leslie, and another security guard are walking around. Rizzo says he was was reading dichronium but then it changed and just then we see smoke coming over the rocks in the background and a fog envelops leslie and the other security guard they look like they're being choked rizzo calls kirk and tells him about the strange cloud as the cloud moves over him yeah dana 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 hold on a second kirk told him to shoot the thing as soon as he saw it (laughs) he's a freaking security guard How many times have we seen in Star Trek now the guy can't pull the trigger? More than a few. Yeah, more than a few. And they always end up, you know, on the bad end of something. Yeah. So uh, this thing like kind of covers him and he's calling to Kirk still. He's got his phaser out. Right. And Kirk is saying, shoot it, shoot it. (laughs) (laughs) Kirk 
Kirk says, fire into it immediately, but it's it's too late. The next thing we see are all three crewmen on the ground. Two look pale, paler than I do when winter's over. <laughs> well, I don't know if I go that far. <laughs> <laughs> And Spock and Kirk come running into the, onto the scene and they see the bodies and Kirk says, dead. And you'll find every red corpuscle gone from their body. And Spock notes that Rizzo is alive, barely. Spock asks Kirk if he knows what it was. And Kirk says, something that can't possibly exist, but it does. At that point, the camera goes to a close up on Leslie's face. He's one of the guys that's dead and he looks very ashen, but he blinks. I watch it a couple times and there's a quick blink. They don't cut from him to the other guy until after the blink. Why they didn't do it before the blink, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they thought people wouldn't see it, but definitely he, he did blink. And here's Leslie, who's dead. He's been in quite a few episodes. And I think he's going to be in more episodes. <laughs> he comes back to life somehow. That's that's true. Yeah. When we come back, we see the medical lab in Nurse Chapel as we hear the captain's log recapping the incident on the planet. Kirk asks Chapel about Rizzo, and she says he's still unconscious. Kirk tells Scotty, Spock, and McCoy, they're going to stay circling the planet regardless of the planned rendezvous with the Yorktown. Spock says the vaccines they're going to get from the Yorktown are desperately needed on Theta-7. But Kirk says, I know, people might die, but we're maintaining orbit here. So McCoy says the dead men didn't have a red corpuscle in their bodies. No marks, no wounds. What happened to them is physically impossible. Kirk says, check your database. 11 years ago, the same thing happened on the Farragut. Kirk then asked McCoy to bring Rizzo to consciousness. Kirk and McCoy enter sickbay where Chapel is tending to Rizzo. On McCoy's orders, Chapel gives him a 1cc of cortisine. That's the stuff that made McCoy go kind of nuts in City on the Edge of Forever. That's cool that they brought it back, though. I, th- I love it when they bring stuff back like that. Kirk leans in as Rizzo wakes and asks if he remembers what happened to him. Kirk asks if he smelled a sickly sweet odor. Rizzo says yes, like he was being smothered in honey. I was thinking, remember bitter honeys? Oh God, I love those bitter honeys. Those would be bad now because they'd pull a crown off. Oh, they'd pull your tooth right out of your head. Just yeah. right out. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had those in years, though. God, he's still like those, yeah. Do they still make those, you think? I don't know. You know, there are some of these, like, candies that are from back in the day. I think they make almost in maybe smaller batches or something where it's harder to find them, maybe only at a specialty candy store or something. I get the feeling, because you don't see Bit of Honeys very often anymore. I told you that I was at a store, and they had the uh, fruit pieces, sugar fruit pieces. You know, it's like orange slices oh, right. and lemon slices yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I... I haven't had those in years. And so I bought the bag and I thought, you know, I'll take them back to work. I'll have a, I'll keep them in my drawer and I'll chew on one every now and then. Yeah. I had one, I was flying around the building like I was on heroin or something. <laughs> Cordrazine. <laughs> Speed. And yeah. Cordrazine. I, I mean, oh my God, I haven't had that much sugar at one dose in so long. Wow. Yeah. I had, to, I had to throw the bag out. I think I had one more the next day. It was just too much. Well, you can actually buy five pounds a bit of honey on Amazon for about 30 bucks. And that that would last probably until the 2070s would be my guess. I mean, that, that's a lot of bit of honey. <laughs> it lasts longer than your teeth would. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. In fact, you'd find your teeth because they would be in the pieces of bit of honey, just stuck. Yeah, yeah. You'd spit the piece of bit of honey out. Yep, there's a tooth right there. <laughs> 
So I just heard you add more money to the uh, ramble jar. I did, yeah. Thinking. More, there's more money. Gosh darn it! Yep. <laughs> it was my grandmother's uh, favorite candy, by the way. Oh wow! Yeah, and when she, from when she was a kid. So we're talking, you know, early 1900s or something. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I th- every time I see or think about Bitter Honey, I think about her. Oh, that's sweet. She had no teeth. Did I tell, ever tell you that? <laughs> Lost every one of them to Bit of Honey. <laughs> <laughs> so much for Bit of Honey being a sponsor. but <laughs> Let's go on. Maybe one of our listeners will send us a bag of Bit of Honey. <laughs> yeah, and hopes they'll shut us up. And... <laughs> you know, that's the thing, though. You chew on one of those and your teeth get stuck together. You cannot open your mouth, right? Yeah. Especially if they're not kind of warmed up or if they're not fresh. Oh, yeah, the old ones? Oh, the old ones, bad. Yeah, those are bad. Yeah. All right. Okay, God, the ramble jar is filling, <laughs> Dana. It's filling today. We'll be able to pay our way to uh, all kinds of conventions this year. So Yeah, okay. <laughs> so remember, way back when, Kirk asked if he smelled a sickly sweet odor, and Rizzo says yes, like he was being smothered in honey. And that's what got us in this hole that we went into. That's right. And then he falls asleep again. So we see Kirk enter the bridge. Uhura says she's... He's got a subspace message from Starfleet. Just they're inquiring and Kirk says, not now. Then he tells her to get security officer on duty to the bridge. Spock reports they are continuing to scan the planet, but no life form readings. Then he says, you mentioned dichronium before. Kirk says, suppose it was composed of that rare element, a strange gaseous creature. We've seen some strange gaseous creatures in our time. We've at least smelled them. Well, we've created them as well. (laughs) So Spock says he has scanned for that element and cannot find it on the planet or in the atmosphere. Ensign Garavik enters the bridge. We get a close-up of him, and uh, then he walks over and reports to Kirk. Kirk looks at him and says, your father. And Garavik says, yes, but I expect no special treatment. And Kirk says, you'll get none here. Just then, Uhura reports that Ensign Rizzo has died. Garavik looks hurt, and Kirk finds out that Garavik and Rizzo were friends who graduated the academy together. Kirk basically says, says, do you want revenge on what killed your friend? Garavik says, yes. And he tells Garavik to get four more men armed with disruptors and to meet him in the transporter room. So Garavik runs off. But don't tell these four guys what's happening because (laughs) they're not going to want to go down to the planet. But make sure they're wearing red shirts. Yeah, all of them, red shirts. (laughs) So back on the planet, we see Kirk and five red shirt crewmen, including Garavik. Garavik says uh, the form he was tracking is now giving off a different reading on his tricorder. Kirk tells him to take two men and go look for it and he'll take two men and go the other direction. (laughs) He's just thinking, I don't know if that's a good idea. (laughs) Kirk warns them that the creature is dangerous. If they see it, fire full phasers. Garavik and his two men are walking into an open area when the cloud comes over the rock. Garavik turns and sees the cloud and fires. Kirk hears the sound of the phaser and runs toward the sound. We see two dead men looking all pasty white on the ground. Kirk and the other two men come running up and before they can ask Garavik what happened, they see the bodies. And then we cut back to Kirk as he uses the phaser to wipe some sweat off of his chin. (laughs) 
Yeah, what was he thinking there? To me, that didn't say, I'm distressed and I can't believe two more men are dead. It was, wow, I didn't know this phaser had, you know, like a rough side to it. I could use to scratch my chin. <laughs> I thought he was going to take like the end, the pointy end of the phaser and maybe stick it in his ear or scratch his nose oh or something. Oh my God. You know? Can you imagine pulling out a big chunk of wax on the end of it? <laughs> so back on the ship, Kirk tells us that one of the men is dead and the other is in critical condition. He says he's even more convinced that this is an intelligent creature, but the same which decimated the crew of the USS Farragut 11 years ago in another part of the galaxy. Next thing we see is the conference room. McCoy, Spock, and Gervik enter. McCoy asks if he had any feeling that the creature was intelligent, and Gervik says no, he was the furthest away. And Kirk asks about the creature hovering, and Gervik says it hovered, then it moved quickly to the men. And Kirk gets rather tense and saying, you you fired and missed? And Gervik says, no, I didn't shoot it when it was hovering. I shot it when it was moving towards the men. As a matter of fact, you'll see one of the men has a phaser burns on his head. <laughs> <laughs> The cloud didn't kill that guy. It was the phaser. Yeah, he looks so pale because I drained all the blood out of his head. And <laughs> <laughs> he says he only hesitated for a moment. And Kirk is like struggling to keep his composure. And he relieves Garavik of duty and confines him to his quarters. And after Garavik is dismissed, McCoy says, you're pretty hard on him, weren't you? And Kirk says he froze and one man died and the other's in critical condition. And he gets up and leaves. So we see Garavik enter his quarters and... And then he falls down on the bed and he throws his arm across his head like he's going to cry. Yeah, come on. There's no crying in Star Trek, Dan. On the bridge, Scotty tells Kirk that he cleaned the radioactive disposal vent and they'll be ready to go in 30 minutes. Okay, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) The radioactive disposal vent. What are they disposing of? You know what I'm saying? Like, is this bathroom kind of disposal? Maybe that's where this gaseous cloud is coming from. (laughs) Big deal. You clean the radioactive disposal vent. You know what I mean? It's just like, it sounds like I emptied the garbage, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Good Good for you, Scotty. Good. Good for you. So proud of you. Yeah. that's (laughs) (laughs) That's a good Scotty. Now, why don't you go back and play with your crayons? <laughs> so Kirk says, uh, we're not leaving. And when Scotty starts to remind Kirk of the medicine, Kirk says, And I'm getting a little tired of my senior officers conspiring against me. So Kirk goes to Chekhov at the science station. Chekhov reports that there's nothing on the scanners. Kirk asks if he's scanning for any unusual movement. Chekhov answers, yes, we've run the scanner probe twice. Uh, that was like Scotty and Chekhov. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Scottish Russian. Yeah. It's a... <laughs> that was really good as a combination one. <laughs> So we see Spock enter a science room where McCoy is filing an autopsy report. And when Spock asks if he's disturbed McCoy, McCoy replies, it's not an interruption, it's a relief when filling out an autopsy report. I thought that was a good line. So Spock says, I need your advice. Then I need a drink. I do not understand your reasoning. You need advice from me? You must be kidding. I do not joke, doctor. Perhaps I should rephrase my statement. I require... An opinion. There are many aspects of human irrationality I do not yet comprehend. Obsession, for one. Spock relates that half the crew of the Farragut and its captain were killed by this thing. The captain's name was Garavik. McCoy says, like our ensign? Spock says it was his father. 
Among the survivors was a young officer on his first assignment, James T. Kirk. Okay, now we know. Just then, Chekhov says, we've got a reading on the thing. Whatever it is, it is leaving the planet's surface. And Kirk says, prepare to leave orbit. And he puts the ship on red alert. So the next thing we see is the Enterprise zooming through space. On the bridge, Scotty is warning Kirk, as he is known to do. We can't do it. If we keep this speed, we'll blow up any minute now. (laughs) I love that line. Chekhov reports that the creature is 0.04 light years ahead. Phasers won't reach that far. Scotty warns they can't keep up at this pace. And Kirk finally concedes and gives the order to go to warp six. Next thing we go to Garavik's quarters. Chapel is bringing him food. Chapel tries to cheer him up with some witty banter, but Garavik is having none of it. Your self-pity is a terrible first course. Why don't you try the soup instead? Okay, I have something to say about Nurse Chapel here, though. Please do. Nurse Chapel walks into the room. She's got the food, etc., like you just mentioned. But there is something going on with her top. And I'm not sure how to phrase this. It looks like she has... It's a common condition of women in space called migrating nipple syndrome. <laughs> and it looks like, looks like only one headlight is on and it's kind of moved more toward the center of the chest. I don't really know how to talk about that, but our listeners should go and look at that scene and tell us what they think's going on there. Anyway, it was very weird. There's some weird costuming thing happening in that scene. Yeah, you know, I, I did notice that and I was thinking like maybe that's where her microphone was or something. Anyway, I'd like to get some theories from our listeners on what's happening there. So back on the bridge, Chekhov says the creature has slowed to warp two. Kirk says reduce speed, approach carefully. And what, what does that mean, approach carefully? Like, don't bump into it. Don't. <laughs> what does it mean? Approach carefully. How do you approach a starship carefully to anything? Back in Gervik's quarters, he's looking at the colored food on the plate. <laughs> Those cubes keep making a, a reappearance, don't they? Yeah, but there was soup that looked like uh, pea soup. It, it did look like pea soup. I love pea soup. Oh, I do too. It's funny. I never thought I would like it, but... Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah. You, you have a good split pea soup with some ham or bacon. Good stuff, really. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking at the colored food and he's holding the uh, lid for the serving dish and then he takes it and throws it and it hits a switch on the wall for the ventilation system bypass. Hold on a second. I, I'm sorry. I, so obviously we know that this is going to play a role later because when have we ever seen this ventilation bypass panel <laughs> in any room and why would you even have it? Why would you leave it up to everybody in their quarters to make that decision? Yeah. Right. So battle station sounds and Garvik leaves the room. He comes on the bridge as Kirk is ready to fire on the creature. And then they fire phasers. The phasers have no effect. He orders photon torpedoes. The torpedoes explode and rock the ship. And Uhura says, it's coming. The creature comes toward the ship. The deflector shields won't stop it. Scotty says, something entered through the number two impulse vent. That's the one he didn't close, apparently, when he was dumping the radioactive waste. Yeah, why didn't they close it? And it's funny because Chekhov says something before about... There's an alarm. Yeah, there's an alarm. The vent won't close or something like that. And Kirk tells him, just turn the alarm off. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like in my house when the fire alarms chirp, I just take the battery out. (laughs) So, by the way, that's bad advice. (laughs) Yeah, don't don't do that. (laughs) One time I was living in a... An apartment. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Actually, it was, it was a duplex. And the doorbell rings one day, and it's the fire department. There's like four firefighters out there, and they're uh, they're saying, yeah, we're doing a survey of people's fire alarms. You fell for this? <laughs> <laughs> Can we come in? We've got, <laughs> we've got something to show you. And, we're going to uh, bring our hose in. <laughs> No, so they said we're doing the survey, you know, people's fire alarms uh, to check them. And uh, if they need batteries replaced, we have batteries. It's a program we're doing. I'm like, yeah, fine. Come in. <laughs> the guy says, uh, your fire alarms don't have any batteries. It's <laughs> like, yeah, they were chirping and bugging me. <laughs> The guy was like, we should just let you burn to death. I mean, that's probably what he was thinking. Anyway, they replaced the batteries and they left. The funny thing is I couldn't find my wallet after that. TV was gone. and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did think it was a little weird at first, but, you know, they had their uniforms on and their badges and there was a, there was a fire truck out front too. So it wasn't like, you know, you're not faking that, probably. You know how easy it is to buy a fire truck online? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was no online then, that's the thing. <laughs> now, shoot. Yeah, you could probably buy one. You could probably yeah. buy a fire truck online, I'm sure. I'm sure. Anyway, so that's a real thing. I mean, again, don't trust if someone comes to your door and they say, we want to change your batteries. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm from the fire department. and uh... <laughs> Oh, yeah, I heard about this on Damage Jim the podcast. Come on in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they should have shut the vent and not turned the alarm off. Let's just finish with that. So we go to a conference room. Scotty reports that the creature attacked two crewmen and disappeared into the vents. McCoy says one of the men died and one is fighting for survival. And then he turns to Kirk and says, You can add that little price tag to your monster, huh? That's enough, Bones. It's not enough. You didn't care what happened as long as you could hang your trophy on the wall. Well, it's not on it, Captain. It's in it. Whoa. That was a burn. Yeah, big time. Spock says, it's no longer important about us chasing the creature. It is now after us. So basically, the hunters have become the hunted. Yeah. Kirk suggests to Scotty, try emptying the radioactive waste into the ventilation systems. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, he didn't let it all out that trap door before. <laughs> Dana, I have a question for you. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm no scientist. <laughs> <laughs> But this sounds like a manifestly bad idea, <laughs> right? I put this in caps because I couldn't believe he said it. <laughs> and I got about 20 question marks after it. <laughs> and Scotty's like, that just might work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll kill. Well, it'll kill everything, right? Yeah. Uh, so Scotty goes off to try it. Now, as far as I know, okay, radioactive waste and human existence, like they don't go together. So I think by emptying the radioactive waste into the ventilation systems, the idea was that none of it could get through to the crew because they shut the vents. Sure. Sure. That's going to work. Yeah. Because <laughs> once it's done, you know, you open the vents again. No, there's not going to be any radioactivity in the vents anymore, right? Yeah, it's just gone. It just yeah, it, it it... magically disappears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I had the same. I had the, <laughs> and the same thought. I was like, "What's going on?" So McCoy apologizes to Kirk, and Spock says the creature's makeup allows it to be elsewhere when you fired at it. So eleven years ago, if you had fired the phasers a second earlier, it would have made no difference. Captain Garovic would still be dead. 
Kirk says, if you want to play analyst, Spock, use someone else, not me. In Garavik's quarters, Spock enters, and Spock tries to reason with Garavik that humans inherently hesitate when faced with something new and unusual. So do, do you think Spock took Kirk's words verbatim and thought, okay, I'll go analyze Garavik? That's the only explanation. And so Garavik's sitting on the bed, he doesn't look up. Spock then says, I know you'd rather wallow in human emotion. And Garavik cuts him off saying, it's very kind of you to come in. And then Spock says, Kindness, Mr. Garavik, is another human emotion. And I believe we have enough of that. And then Spock smells something as we see the cloud coming through the vent in Garavik's room. And Spock says, What did you have for dinner? (laughs) Did you eat the chili? Didn't I tell you not to eat the chili? (laughs) We flushed the radioactive waste in that chili. Why are you eating the chili? So Spock throws Garavik out. And as Garavik tries to come back, the door closes, but it doesn't open again. I didn't see Spock hit the lock button or anything. (laughs) No, they can enter any room on the Enterprise at any time, except you can't get back into your own room (laughs) when you want to. So Spock goes to the vent and tries to keep the cloud from coming through by covering the vent with his hands so it doesn't work. The last thing we see is Spock being covered in the gas, the cloud. Yeah. Garavik is calling to Kirk, telling him that Spock is in his quarters with the creature. And who knows what they're doing in there, but there's noise. (laughs) Kirk calls McCoy to meet him there and tells Scotty to reverse cabin pressure 341. And I'm guessing that's Garavik's room number. So does Kirk know every room number on the ship? There's got to be thousands of rooms, right? Well, he would know for sure the women's quarters. The women's quarters, yeah. Yeah. So then we see in Garavik's room, the gas getting pulled back into the vent. So at Garavik's room, Kirk asks for a tricorder reading. And McCoy says, Spock could be dying in there. And Kirk says, and if we open the door and the creature comes out, Spock will have a lot of company. Yeah, I mean, he's right. Yeah. And the door opens and Spock says, the reverse cabin pressure worked and no one is dead. Kirk gets this kind of like grin on his face and then he asks don't misunderstand my next question mr spock why aren't you dead it's that green blood of his my hemoglobin is based on copper not iron i'll bet he left a bad taste in the creature's mouth too colloquially expressed but essentially correct and kirk steps forward and sniffs and he says the scent is different (laughs) did he sniff spock who's he sniffing (laughs) he is sniffing garavik's room oh the room okay and he he says now spock did you schmidt yourself when you were in there i mean it smells like (laughs) something happened did you eat the chili in the mess hall tonight that's a (laughs) (laughs) scotty calls kirk on the intercom and says the creature is heading toward the number two vent Perhaps the radioactive flushing is affecting it. Or the chili. The chili could be doing it too. (laughs) Kirk orders the vent opened. I thought it was already open. Isn't that how it got in? (laughs) I don't know, man. I think they... I think they closed it after it got in, and now he wants it open again. (laughs) So confusing. (laughs) Chekhov reports that the creature has left the ship and is accelerating away nearly out of scanner range. Kirk calls to Scotty and tells him to give him all the power he can muster. He says he believes he knows where the creature is going. Then he tells you her to contact Starfleet and the Yorktown. He says, tell them we're pursuing the creature to the Tycho star system. He goes on to tell you her that he intends to destroy the creature. Kirk 
Kirk says antimatter seems to be our only chance. Kirk says they need to get hemoplasm down to the planet. And McCoy says you're going to use hemoplasm as a bait. And Spock warns that the matter-antimatter explosion could rip away half the atmosphere of the planet. Kirk says that's why he's going down to set the trap. Spock says it will take two people, and Garavik volunteers. But he's going to change his shirt to a yellow shirt. Just to be on the safe side. So Kirk and Garavik beam down to the planet with the antimatter device, and they're holding it with this anti-grav thing that they used once before. And that's a cool thing. I like that. Yeah, it, it was actually well done. It looked like it was just floating. Yeah, and they have a big bottle of hemoplasm, easily like gallon or two. And this is blood, right? Yeah. So the creature comes and drains all the hemoplasm. Now, I didn't understand because they walked away from the hemoplasm with this antimatter device. Wouldn't they have just like set it next to the hemoplasm? I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Why didn't they? Yeah. And so when the creature came, they could have like, hey, beam us out, set off the device. Right. Or maybe have it triggered by the draining of the hemoplasm. They could have beamed out, didn't have to even... Be there. Yeah. Didn't even have to be there. Right. Boy, this would be a boring show if you and I wrote it. <laughs> everything would make sense or nothing would make sense probably the nothing would make sense yeah i was gonna say so they realize that they're out of the bait for the creature kirk tells garavik to go back to the ship so garavik sees kirk kind of like next to the antimatter device and decides that he's going to be the hero and he goes up and gives kirk a karate chop which knocks kirk down and then he tries to grab him and pick him up to throw him someplace so that he could be beamed up right I don't know what yeah. exactly, but... Yeah, we don't know. They they end up fighting. And then Kirk says, this is no time for heroics. I'm not going to endanger myself. And then Kirk calls the Spock and tells him to scan them. He says, it's going to be close. And then the cloud moves closer to them. As it covers the antimatter device, Kirk says, energize and detonate. And they start to dematerialize and the explosion goes off. So they can detonate this thing from space. There was no need for either of them to go down there. Yeah. So on the ship in the transporter room, they can't get Kirk and Garavik back. They're, they start to form and then disappear. Spock and Scotty are working at the transporter controls. McCoy says, crazy way to travel, spreading a man's molecules throughout the galaxy. I love that line. So they're uh, they're trying all these things and Spock says, uh, cross-circuiting to B and he's like, you know, yelling it out and see them both work in the controls. And then finally, they pull them in. And as they get off the transporter pads, Scotty says, Thank heaven. Mr. Scott, there was no deity involved. It was my cross-circuiting to be that recovered them. Well then, thank pitchforks and pointed ears. So Kirk calls to check off to have him lay in a course to meet the Yorktown. He then tells Garavik to stop by his quarters sometime. He has some stories to tell him about his father. And that's how the episode ends, Dan. I got a question already for you. Do they get the vaccines there in time or do they not get the vaccines in time? My question is, why the f*** couldn't the Yorktown do it themselves? <laughs> So Dana, you really, really like this episode. Why don't you tell us why? Dan, I think it's probably in my top 10 of the Star Trek episodes. Uh, there's a, a mystery involved about this creature. It's a unique alien creature. It's not, you know, a Gorn, it's not a reptile, it's not a humanoid. So there's the way Spock and McCoy react to the whole situation of Kirk's obsession. There's a lot going on, but it, it brought everything together and I thought they did a good job of uh, telling this story. Yeah, that's interesting to me. Most of the time we're pretty 
aligned on how we feel about episodes. This one, I'd say, is in my top half, but down near the bottom of the top half. Okay, do you want to discuss uh, themes and dilemmas? I think the big one is for me is when does a quest become an obsession? So there there could be just pursuing something, then you, you get to the point where the pursuit is so intense, you disregard everything else and it becomes an obsession. And we've seen this in literature a lot, right? We've seen it in... Uh, Moby Johnson, sorry, Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I couldn't realize that with that one. <laughs> and this really is the second Moby Dick episode, right? What was the other one? Um, the Doomsday Machine. The Doomsday Machine, yeah. You know, we see it in some ancient literature as well. The Odyssey yeah. could be kind of seen, at least parts of it. Uh, Hamlet, our doing this podcast, certainly is an obsession. <laughs> That was kind of it for me. What about for you? What was a dilemma that you saw in this episode? There's points in there, I think, where we see Kirk on the brink of madness. And again, yes, definitely like Moby Dick. But to see Kirk so obsessed was really different. Somebody had commented, I think on Facebook a while ago, we've never seen Kirk act like this. Why would he suddenly be like this? But I think they did a good job presenting the smell, that sense of memory. And then, you know, little by little, he's convinced that this is what it is. And then his desire to stay and fight it so doesn't go on and kill more people. Do you think it was an obsession for him? Yeah, I think it definitely was. And then there's the whole survivor's guilt that both he and uh, Garavik face. Oh, that is a great point, Dana. I hadn't even really thought about that. And they mentioned in there, Kirk looked up to Captain Garavik, uh, was like his first commanding officer, and he says, like, you know, what a great guy he was. So there's all that, that he lost that kind of father figure type that he had early on. Yeah, great point. Yeah, that survivor's guilt. Yeah. I think our listeners probably have survivor's guilt because they survive every episode. <laughs> I gotta feel guilty for listening to that. <laughs> I, I think they feel like champions because they make it through an episode. Dan. Maybe that's, that's a better way to look at it. Yeah, exactly. Dan, what are your best parts of this episode? Number one, absolutely the red shirt, dead shirt count. Loved it. Uh, how about for you, best part? Do you know, I love an alien that's not a humanoid. Really liked it. And it's funny, I wrote a short story. I was thinking about this today. I wrote a short story about Mars in the not too far future. There's like vapor able to like, it kind of comes and goes and that the uh, the astronauts see it and then they don't, but it's it's controlling them. And I was wondering when I was watching this, if that had been some kind of leftover memory that I had from seeing the show. Cause I don't think I've seen the show since I was a kid. How about you? Do you have another best part? I really thought the use of the smoke as a special effect was really good. Not drawn on smoke as it was attacking people. You know, that was more of an animated thing, but I'm talking about when it would start to appear from behind a rock or styrofoam when it started to come out of the vent and then went back in yeah i thought that was a pretty good how about another best part for you spock and mccoy questioning kirk's competence that whole scene i liked how uh, mccoy played it he was friendly he was encouraging sensed he was trying to be a friend and yet still trying to do his duty i, I think deforest kelly probably did not get enough credit for his acting abilities on this show i think you're absolutely right okay how about uh worst parts dan what is a ventilation override switch doing in the cabin, Dana. <laughs> just made no sense to me. We talked about it, right? It still makes no sense to me. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. How about a worst part for you? As much as I like a non-humanoid creature, I also like it when they try to communicate with another creature that they don't understand. And there was no attempt to communicate whatsoever with something that they believed was an intelligent life form. I thought at some point they would say, you know, let's try reaching out to it. Let's try talking to it. Do you have another worst part then? Blinking dead guys. They either need to cut the scene faster or train their actors not to blink. How hard can it be to not blink for like four seconds? I bet we could do it. I've had my eyes closed for most of this podcast. So, uh... <laughs> How about another worst part for you? Well, the harder than diamond rock that sounds and acts a lot like styrofoam. So it's a... Uh... <laughs> So Dana, what happened on this date in history? Dan, this came out uh, December 15th, 1967. The number one song in the U.S. was still Daydream Believer by the Monkees. And in the U.K., the Beatles still held the top spot with Hello Goodbye. So that's two weeks in a row, same songs. Got another disaster story for you. Oh no. Last week, Dana was heart-wrenching with Santa. I mean, it really was. I mean, I know I laughed at it, but I, I felt bad about it. I continue to feel bad. The Silver Bridge collapses over the the Ohio River in the U.S. killing 46 people. The bridge collapsed without warning when one of its eye bars broke under the weight of rush hour traffic. At the time, 31 vehicles were on the center span of the 700-foot bridge and either plunged 80 feet into the Ohio River or fell into a pile of debris on the Ohio shoreline. My God, Dana, where are you looking up these? Is it like www.letmemakeyoudepressedbythesestories.com <laughs> or what? 46 people were killed, nine died from severe trauma, and the bridge fell on top of them. Oh. And the others drowned in waters more than 50 feet deep. Two people were swept away in the current and their bodies were never recovered. And Dan, as a result of this, mm -hmm. the federal aid... Highway Act of 1968 would be passed, enacting the first federal laws requiring bridge inspections and setting standards afterwards. All bridges on the national inventory were to be inspected at regular intervals, not to exceed two years. Wow. So something good came out of that, but nothing good came out of the Santa crash. I don't, did they say no. Santa can never fly again to a mall in a helicopter or? Yeah, nothing good came out of the Santa crash. No. Also on the state in 1960, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act of 1967 was signed into law by U.S. President Johnson, prohibiting arbitrary discrimination on the basis of age and educating employers and workers on methods of resolving disputes. So there's still hope for us, Dan. We can still get jobs. Well, it certainly explains all the greeters at every Walmart I've ever gone into. <laughs> Yeah, Walmart certainly does not discriminate. No, they don't pay him either, probably, would be my guess. I wonder if Walmart would be a sponsor of ours. Also, Dan, want to throw this in. On December 14th, a team of biochemists at Stanford University, led by Nobel Prize winner Arthur Comberg, announced that they had synthesized DNA in a test tube, that they had created the first artificial virus that was hailed as a giant step toward the creation of life itself. Anything else in history, Dan? No, that's it. That's it forever. Shall we move on to the counts, Dan? Yeah, let's move on to the counts. So Dana, how many dead crewmen do we have this week? I counted six. What did you come up with? 
I had five. Okay, so we go down to the planet, two men die, and then Rizzo dies later. Yeah. Then Garavik goes back down to the planet. Mm-hmm. One man dies. Mm-hmm. The other's in critical condition. Mm-hmm. So we've got four. Yeah. Then this, it comes on the ship and one man dies and another's in critical condition. Yeah. So that's five. Yeah. So what are you saying? You said six. <laughs> 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 I thought one of the guys that was in critical condition died. Well, you would ho- hope that both of them would have. I mean, do, <laughs> do you want to assume that one died? I mean, no, no, we got to go with what we what's there. So I just I miscounted. Actually, I had five and I changed it to six. Well, because you were hoping you were really hoping that that guy would have succumbed to his injuries. That puts us at 43, Dan. Yeah, 43. How about the shirtless Kirk rip shirt Kirk count? None this week, unfortunately. So we're still at 13. The he's dead count. I had zero. So zero. What's our tally then on this one? Uh, we're at nine. Nine. Okay. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. This week is zero. The tally is at eight. Eight. All right. The supreme being count. You know, I, I, I thought for a minute about arguing for the cloud to be a uh, supreme being, but I, I gave up on it pretty quickly. We're still at eight. How about the violation of the prime directive? If the prime directive says try to get along with the alien species before you kill it, then yes. <laughs> but I don't think the prime directive says that. Okay. Yeah. So I agree. Uh, zero this week. And our total is six. Six. All right. Taking over the enterprise count. The cloud tried to take over the enterprise, but couldn't do it. So uh, zero for this week, Dan. We're still at five. All right. So, you know, we got skunked on everything but the dead crewman, but, you know, we had five. So not bad for this week. No, I thought we did quite well. So, Dana, we're taking some time off, aren't we? Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be around. But uh, you're you're traveling. Yeah, we're taking uh, a trip. My wife and I are going to do some traveling. We'll be gone the entire month of July. Uh, so our next episode will not be until Friday, August 4th, Dana. At that time, it'll be one of my favorites, Wolf in the Fold. Yeah, I love that one too. It's definitely a Scotty-centered episode. All right, Dana, have a great rest of your week and a great month. Actually, I'm going to see you in a few weeks because we're on our travels. We're going to stop and see you, which will be a lot of fun. I'm sure we'll be out and about causing some havoc as much as we can in our old age. But uh, looking forward to seeing you in person, uh, looking forward to the vacation, and then being back doing the podcast in August. Hey, once again, Dana, always have fun doing this. Can't wait to see you in person and have a great rest of your week. Thanks so much for uh, doing the podcast. It's always great to talk about Star Trek. And thanks for all our listeners who write in and give us comments. We especially like the good ones. And uh, (laughs) until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Dammit Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. You can also now call us at 509-676-6298. If we like what you have to say, we may even put it on the podcast. Remember, Dan and Dana are off for the month of July, but join us on August 4th for the episode Wolf in the Fold. Until then, enjoy the Encore episodes. And until we meet again, remember to live long and prosper.